Hi everyone, if you need a, a Bible, just raise your hand, there's a few people uh, handing them out now. Um, I'm going to be reading from the 2011 version of the NIV, which will be up behind me, um, but feel free to follow along in the 1984 version of the NIV. It's on page 11, it's uh, Genesis chapter 17, starting at verse 15, going through to chapter 18, verse 15. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household, or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them, as God told him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was thirteen. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household, or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, "'If I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord,' Do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought. Then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sears of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who, who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah? they asked him. There, in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, 
I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, Yes, you did laugh. It's great to be with you again and uh, you'll see there's a, an outline in the leaflet that might help you as we go along. Uh, it's an outline f- full of laughter, as Stephen's just highlighted. It's that sort of chapter where there's uh, a lot of laughter, a lot of doubt, a lot of questions. But I suspect that's uh, probably the case for most of us actually as we go through life and we think about our relationship with God, questions that we have. So let me pray uh, that God will speak to our hearts and minds and confirm our trust in him as we come to his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're a God who does speak, Uh, you're a God who makes promises, and you're a God who keeps promises. Uh, Father, we ask that you give us clarity around what you promised us, how we can trust you, that you'll fill us with uh, faith, uh, just integrity when it comes to a conviction about who you are and our own doubts at different points. Father, graciously go before us and strengthen us as we consider your word this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When uh, one of our children, I was going to say his name actually, but given he's been so rude to me this morning, I thought I would. When one of my children, David, uh, was young at primary school age, he used to ask lots of uh, searching theological questions. I thought I'd share a couple with you. Uh, Dad, if I was lost... Would Jesus come and find me? Right? Or this one. If I was about to get run over by a bus, would God save me? Or this one. If a lion was about to eat me, would God rescue me? Right? Those are the sort of questions that David would ask at primary school. And uh, uh, yeah, it was interesting. The first thought that occurred to me was... He doesn't think his father can do anything, right? That was, you know, like that was, I worked out, he thought I couldn't do anything about the situation. Uh, But the second thing was, he was totally dissatisfied with my answers, right? Uh, Because I would say, well, you know, Dave, if you're lost, maybe God would find you. And if you're about to run over by a bus, maybe God would rescue you. If you're about to get eaten by a lion, and possibly, possibly God would save you from that sort of consequence. And he was, I think he went searching around the neighbourhood for other parents who would offer better answers to his questions, you know, what's <laughs> going on. But, uh, and perhaps I was being a bit too Calvinistic in my parenting. But, uh, you know, there was, there, was, there was a sense in which I was just trying to be faithful to the Bible. But it, it raises a question that I think you ask in every age which is, what can we trust God for? What can we know with certainty that God will do for us? And of course, if you've been a follower of Jesus for some time, you'll know that there are some answers that we give with absolute certainty. And we know that if we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then our salvation is guaranteed. 
We know that if we trust in Jesus, we are forgiven people. We know that when we die, if our confidence is in what Jesus has done, we will dwell with him for all eternity in heaven. We know those things are guaranteed by God. But what about day by day? Uh, What about the, the practical and the here and now? What about my struggles with finance or depression or children or marriage difficulties or troubles at work or sickness? Now, will God do anything about that stuff? And of course, you hear a verse like the one we just heard read here in Genesis uh, this morning, Genesis 18, verse 14. And what we hear is, from God's lips effectively, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And the answer, no, that's exactly right. That's the answer that is implicit in the question. No, there is nothing that is too hard for the Lord. But what does that mean? You know, when you sort of nail it down... What does that mean? So today we encounter and look more carefully at the amazing miracle of Isaac's birth. We've got a woman uh, whose womb is closed at 90 years of age and God says that womb will be opened and you'll give birth and that's exactly what happens. So it's extraordinary on two fronts. It's extraordinary on the front that someone this old with her problems could actually conceive and bear a child But it's also extraordinary for another reason, and that's more to do with the storyline of the whole Bible. You see, God has made a promise to Abraham regarding Isaac that through Isaac, his plans for the salvation of the whole world will come to pass. You see, it's personal to this family, but it's global when it comes to the whole world and the whole of eternity. Now, can I say that when we come to the Bible... And this particular example, often what Christians do is they personalise it. They go for the miracle for the woman who can't have a child and that becomes the preoccupation and we draw lessons out of that for ourselves about what God will do in our personal circumstances. Now, I'm not saying that is wrong, but what I am saying is that is not the main point of this part of the Bible. The main point or the emphasis is on what God is doing for the world and everybody for all eternity. That's the focus. If we personalise everything that you read in the Bible, then you always will get a distorted view of what God is saying. Okay? So two aspects. The second one is actually the more important. Let's look at it together. Why is this birth so miraculous? Uh, Back in Genesis chapter 11, this is before Abraham is called in chapter 12, we're told in Genesis 11 verses 29 to 30 that Sarah was barren. Right, that's the word that's used there. That is, she had no children, and not only that, she couldn't have children. That's the point. Then you get to Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and verse 7. God says to Abram, you will be a great nation, and your offspring are going to inherit the land. Right? Your children will... And, of course, the question is, how can this be? Because his wife cannot have any children. He can't have any children with her, Right? So we've got a promise, but we've already been told the promise can't be achieved. You then go on to Genesis chapter 15, 
by this stage, we're talking years of going past, and Abraham says to God, I am childless. You know, just in case you hadn't noticed, I can't, I have no children, right? What are you doing, God? And at that point, God affirms his promise. He says, your own son will be your heir. Then we get to chapter 16. And we're told at the beginning of that chapter, Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. Right? We're still not getting anywhere. And so, you know, in chapter 16, what Sarai says to Abram is, take my servant girl, have a child through her, your child, not my child, let's circumvent the problem. Right? And in due course, Ishmael is born. But this is a child by human ingenuity. It's a human solution to a big problem that God is going to resolve. It's not God's plan. Then in chapter 17, what we have is God getting very specific and even names the son's name that Sarah and Abraham are going to have before this child is born. So we get to chapter 17. There's a lot of laughter that occurs in this chapter. Uh, You go to chapter 17, verse 15. God also said to Abram, As for Sarai, your wife, you ought to no longer call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and surely give you a son by her. It goes on, he says, "I'll, I'll bless her so she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Right? The names are always meaningful. Sarai to Sarah. Sarai means princess. Sarai means mother of kings. All right? This is God making a statement about how it's going to be. And as we've already heard, uh, Abram struggles with this idea. Uh, verse 17, Abram fell face down and he laughed. Right? He laughed. At this stage, Abram is Abraham. He's already had a name change. Uh, to indicate he's going to have lots of kids. But what he's saying, guys, God, you have such a terrific sense of humour. You're such a jokester. You know? uh, now, I'm sure it wasn't quite like that, but that, that's the, he's just saying, no way. This is just not going to happen. Uh, we all know that the, the big socialite wedding that's coming up uh, later this year is uh, between uh, Meghan Markle and some bloke she's attached herself to in the UK you know but uh, it's obviously going to be a big socialite wedding and once they're married um, there'll be all the photos and the splurge and then after that there'll be speculation about children of course there will be and everyone will be excited to see what they produce in due course I want you to change it around a bit right and what you um, hear this coming week is you see in the news that the uh, the queen who is in 93 now is that about right 92, yeah, yeah, she's getting fairly older. Uh, you know, she, she goes in a hospital with a stomach bug, right? And then later this week, we hear the news. She and Prince Philip are expecting, you know? <laughs> That's exactly the point, right? No way, in their 90s. Abram is 100, Sarah is 90. No way. Like, you get why there's laughter at this point and why Abraham reacts in this way. So he suggests an alternative plan. Okay, God, you know, had your joke. Let's get serious. Right, let's get serious. What I'm going to suggest is that Ishmael, verse 18, that he might have your blessing. 
And God says to him, yes, Ishmael will be blessed by me. He won't be forgotten. I will take care of him. But he says, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. You will call him Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. You get the point God's making here? Uh, Abraham, laugh all you want, but you will have a son, and his name will be Isaac, Yitzhak. Laughter. God will have the last laugh. That is the point that's being made here. Abraham obeys. Later in the chapter, he circumcises the males in his family in obedience to God. Then we go to chapter 18. You see, Sarah gets in on the act in terms of the laughter. Uh, Guests from God arrive. They speak to Abraham. And then they say to him, this time next year, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Verse 11, we're told, just in case we've, you know, we're slow to pick up the storyline, verse 11, right? Sarah was past the age of childbearing. Who would have guessed? You know, we've been told that repeatedly all the way through this story. Then in verse 12, so Sarah laughed to herself. And she thought, this is a really earthy sort of thought, block up your children's ears. Right? Uh, she, she thought, after I am worn out and old, and my master is old, will I have this pleasure, she says. It's very earthy, isn't it? And then in verse 14, here is God's response. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? No, that's exactly right. Out of the mouths of children. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And then later on, we get to chapter 21. And Yitzhak, laughter, is born. And we're told there, the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. He said he would do it, he did it. He promised he would do it, he delivered. This is the God who keeps his word. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. I don't mind that at all. Keep saying it, I say. I'm surprised the adults haven't picked it up yet, but soon you will. It's okay. (laughs) Anything too hard for the Lord? No. That's exactly right. So what have you learned about that as we think about our relationship with God and its implications? Firstly, let me talk for a few moments about uh, God's sovereign power and love. God has absolute authority in his world. Right? He created it by his word. He sustains it. The sun rises every day. And it's all because of, you know, it's just some quirks of nature that are just... No. The sun rises every day because God determines it will rise. And it sets every day because God determines it will set. Every breath you take is by the hand of God upon you. The marvellous piece of machinery called your heart in your chest beats, <laughs> beats, because God determines every beat that happens in your chest. And God takes his hand off this world or off your life for a moment and it stops. He is the sovereign author of life and the one who controls it completely. Abraham and Sarah, they are completely powerless to have a child totally powerless 
That's the point. That's the point of the delay. You think you can't have children? Let's say wait 25 years and see how you're going then. You definitely can't. That's the whole point. Only by the hand of God can these people have a child. Only God could achieve it. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. God is never short on power. Never. Never. But God also has compassion and love. Now, this birth of Isaac, it is a sign of that compassion. In chapter 17, verse 16, listen to what God says to Sarah. I'll bless Sarah and surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Blessing is um, it's such a religious word, isn't it? I mean, we don't use it that much these days, but, but often when it's used most in our society is when someone sneezes, you know, bless you. I don't know if people do that much these days, but it's that sort of, it's sort of a trivialisation of, uh, uh, of the word itself. But blessing means receiving good from the hand of God. That's what it means. Abraham and Sarah, they are blessed. That is, God's power and his love combine to result in a child, Isaac. In chapter 21, verse 6, uh, Sarah says this after Isaac's birth. She says, God has made laughter for me. Isn't that a lovely line? God has made laughter for me. She knows the blessing of God. But friends, what about us today? Does God still act in this way in our lives? Surely it's the same God. Surely God's still loving and powerful. Surely both are still true. And then I, you know, come back to David's questions. You know, will God save me from being run over by a bus, find me if I'm lost, stop me getting eaten by, by lions, you know? Uh, we have slightly more sophisticated questions, but we still grapple with the same sorts of questions. What will God do for us here and now? As we call out to God, what can we be certain about? What can we be? So, story of two Stephs. Uh, I have a niece, her name is Steph. When she was in the womb, she was diagnosed with congenital heart defects. And the doctor said it was very unlikely she could be born and live. Okay. And we prayed that God in his kindness would be at work to enable this child to be born and to experience life in this world. And she was. She was born. She's had a whole series of operations throughout her life. Uh, She graduated from university. She's now a doctor. She's now married. We got to go to her wedding in recent years. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. So let me tell you a story about another Steph. Of course, used to be a member of this congregation, served the Lord in Central Asia, came back, diagnosed with bowel cancer, and I visited her in a hospital with Sue. She wanted to survive, so she could go back to Central Asia and share the gospel, and we prayed that God, in his kindness, might heal her. And she died, and a number of us went to her funeral just a few weeks ago. 
same God, same prayer, in essence, quite different answers. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. So how do we grapple with this? And isn't that the thing we grapple with? Very different outcomes to similar situations and very similar prayers. Can I say in the case of Abraham and Sarah, they had a very particular and clear word about Isaac and they had it from the very mouth of God. God had made them a specific promise that this child would be born by this man and this woman and he would be the one through whom God would bring about blessings for the whole world. Very particular, captured for us in scripture, named, there is no doubt about it. When it came to David, uh, I didn't have a promise from God about the lion. When it came to Steph, my niece, I actually didn't have a promise about her heart defect and what God would do. When it came to Steph of Central Asia, I did not have a promise from God about what he would do in her situation. But it's actually tricky, I think, often for believers. Because I often hear in the face of those sorts of difficulties, sickness or threat to life or challenge, Christians often saying, I'm trusting in God that he will and heal somebody. Or God has told me that this is going to be what happens. Or those sort of phrases... And most of the time, God has not actually articulated a specific word in terms of an outcome. And what people are saying is, I'm praying to God and I am, in my own heart, my desire is that this will be the outcome. That's not a bad thing to desire that. But can I urge us to be really careful about attributing our desires as promises of God? Understand the confusion there and the difficulty that arises if you do that. Abraham and Sarah have a very specific promise that God was going to do something. I had none for David, none for Steph, none for Steph. And we've got to be careful about taking those sort of steps. Let me say though, when it came to David or the two Stephs, God was no less powerful or loving in their lives like his character didn't change same God same confidence in the same God and so in the case of step my niece was God both loving and powerful yes in case of step from Central Asia was God loving and powerful yes Steph from Central Asia is with her Lord. He is powerful to deliver there. Steph, my niece, if she had died at childbirth, God would have been no less powerful or loving if that had happened. Do you understand? When we have a promise from God, we trust in the promise and the power of God. When we have no promise from God, we still trust in God, who is both loving and powerful. 
We just don't have a promise that we're relying on for a particular outcome in a particular situation. You've got to be careful about how we handle the Bible. When it comes to this question, what about us today? Can I say as I started off, when it comes to Isaac, there's something much more profound at work. It's not just about me and my life and God answering my prayers or the prayers for my family. We're told in Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a blessing and by you all the families on earth will bless themselves. You see, Isaac is a small b blessing for Abraham and Sarah, but he is a big b blessing for the whole world. And that's where the emphasis in the the incident and the occasion of his birth, that's where the focus lies. You see, here is the big issue for our world. How can anyone be in a right relationship with God? That is the huge problem. God creates, it's good, Genesis 3, people rebel against God, there's broken relationship with God. And the question is, how will God restore relationship with people who are sinful and can't be in relationship with him? And through Isaac, we're told it all changes. Because through Isaac, God is going to bless the whole world with many descendants. And 2,000 years later, we get the next major instalment. God appears to another woman, Mary, and he says to her this, Luke chapter 1, verse 28, Greetings, you are highly favoured, blessed, you are highly blessed. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. This child, a descendant of Abraham, of Isaac, This child, the one who brings forgiveness of sins, who secures eternal relationship with God. And he is named, not Isaac, laughter, he is named Jesus, which means God saves. God delivers on his promises. Friends, is anything too hard for the Lord? No. No. Exactly right. No. So what are the hard things? Healing someone of cancer. Giving children to childless couples. uh, Solving financial woes or marriage difficulties or... Let me say they they are difficulties. They stress our hearts and our minds. But can I say the hardest thing or the greatest blessing is that God might establish a relationship with us. And that is an extraordinary miracle every time it happens. Because that is a time when God changes the human heart and mind and life orientation, where we're forgiven, where we're secured for all eternity. You see, God's big goal for us and his most extraordinary blessing is that we understand everything we have in Christ and what he's done for us through him. Just this week on, on Wednesday, I uh, took a funeral uh, for a lady called Rhonda. who was in town, 85 years of age. Thing is, Rhonda had actually gone through a fair portion of her life not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was only just actually the last couple of years that she consolidated her trust in the Lord Jesus 
And so the funeral itself was a wonderful celebration of God's mercy to her. It was sad, don't get me wrong. Broken relationships are always sad. And yet great joy because of the wonderful miracle of God. Uh, Easter Sunday, uh, I was in the city again and there were at our evening service on, on um, that Sunday, two young blokes in their 20s were baptised. They become Christians, both of them, in the last 12 months, you know, they're about 24, 25, and they stood up in front of the congregation. I remember one guy's test me really clearly. What sort of family did you grow up in? Atheistic. Right? Any belief in God? No at all. <laughs> you know, what do they think about you becoming Christian? Well, they think I'm pretty stupid, really. Uh, you know, and he just testified about where he'd come from and the fact that he, he'd become convicted about the fact that the gospel was real, the promise of life and the Lord Jesus. There's an extraordinary miracle. These two blokes in their 20s professing their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Wonderful. So here's the question. If you're like me, you've been praying for people in your family or friends, maybe even for years and years and years. And you're so aware that 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 miracle, that is such a difficult miracle, isn't it? For God to bring about conviction of sin and the promise of life there is in the Lord Jesus Christ to change a heart, to bring people in relationship to himself. I don't have a promise for every person that I pray about. I've not been told by God that he will save uh, each person in my extended family or every person I encounter with the gospel, I have not received that word from God. But let me tell you what I do know. He is powerful to change hearts and minds and lives, and he is extraordinarily compassionate and gracious and merciful and kind. I do not have a promise, but I do rest in his character and his generosity. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your abundant mercy and grace towards us in your Son. And we pray that you and your kindness will keep stirring our hearts so that we'll keep remembering that nothing is too hard for you. We'll know your character of grace and mercy. Our hope will be in your promises, the ones you've made that secure us for all eternity. And Father, we pray that we'll keep trusting in you as we reflect and call upon you to be at work in the hearts and minds of people around us. Father, we're sometimes puzzled about why you answer some prayers in the way we expect and answer them in ways we don't expect at other times. But Father, we do thank you that you run the universe, you do it with grace and mercy, and you run it well.
Father, help us to keep trusting in you. Secure us in your arms, both now and for all eternity. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.